As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. And this is, you know, my burden as a former Republican. It's my continued penance (laughs) that I listen to these assholes and read them and follow them because a lot of people really don't. You know, I think it's easy to kind of say, you know, to be in your media bubble in D.C. or New York and be like, what's the point of listening to Steve Bannon's podcast? This like Matt Walsh guy who's obsessed with trans people is like a joke. Like who? If you go to the podcast rankings, if you go to the YouTube views, like Steven Crowder and Three-Shirted Bannon and Matt Walsh and Candace Owens, and these people are like up with you, Favs. Like they're at the top of the list. Like they're at the top of the charts. You're competing with them. Like that's your competitive set. I'm John Favreau. Welcome to Offline. Hey, everyone. My guest this week is Tim Miller, former Republican operative, current Never Trumper and contributor at The Bulwark, and author of Why We Did It, a travelogue from the Republican road to hell. So it appears the 2024 Republican primary has begun. Trump finally left Mar-a-Lago for New Hampshire and South Carolina. Ron DeSantis is identifying early state hires and picking more culture war fights. Nikki Haley is about to announce. And there are a bunch of other clowns uh, trying to squeeze into the car. But the two frontrunners for now seem to be Trump and DeSantis. They're already taking shots at each other, trying to compete for the support of uh, various MAGA media stars, internet trolls, shit posters, and grifters. The Daily Beast reported this week that Ron DeSantis has built out an army of right-wing influencers to promote his content. Meanwhile, Donald Trump invited the woman behind libs of TikTok to dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Great stuff. So I wanted to talk about all this, especially the online aspect of the Republican primary, from how Trump's return to Facebook could impact the race to all the ways the 2024 digital strategy might evolve. And I figured Tim would be perfect for this. He's a former Republican strategist, having made stops on the McCain campaign, Jeb Bush's campaign, and the RNC. But since 2016, Tim has been one of the Republican Party's most outspoken critics, writing extensively and compellingly in The Bulwark and other places about all the ways the modern Republican Party has lost its mind. He also hosts Not My Party, an excellent Snapchat news series. We had a fun chat that I think you'll really enjoy, where we talk not just about the long primary ahead, but what's motivating the Republican base, the candidates, and some of the decisions in their campaigns. As always, if you have comments, questions, or episode ideas, please email us at offlineatcrooked.com, and please rate, review, and share the show. Here's Tim Miller. Tim Miller, welcome to Offline. I'm the worst possible person to invite to this podcast. Is this going to be like some kind of, you know, here's what not to do? fellow addict. Yeah, here's what kind of like a lecture. Uh, Is this going to be, you know, are you going to bring all my friends in? Is this like, you know, we need to have an intervention right now? And here comes your mom up on the next screen. I'm saving the personal questions about your own uh, online habits till the end of the episode. Otherwise, we're going to get derailed. All right, so... We like to talk about uh, how the internet's breaking our brains here. I think their few brains have been more broken than those of the trolls and shit posters and, and mouth breathers who populate the MAGA media universe. 
Uh, this is a motley crew that's going to help determine the next Republican nominee for president. You got, you know, their MAGA kings back for a third run. Some of them are swooning over Ron DeSantis. They're being courted by a bunch of other clowns who've deluded themselves into thinking they can win. So I figured, who better to guide us through this right-wing hellscape than our favorite former GOP operative turned never-Trump cuck? And I guess Thank my you. first question before we even get to the media conversation is, how strong or weak of a frontrunner do you think Donald Trump is right now? I guess he's a weak frontrunner, but he's a frontrunner. Um, he's a frontrunner. Uh, I mean, I think that one way to look at it is that he's a stronger frontrunner than he was, you know, at this time in 2015 when he won that primary. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that certainly there's no doubt that he's weaker than he was six months ago. And I think that he made a lot of bad decisions, not maybe the same bad decisions that your listeners and like those of us in the reality community would, th- would think were his bad decisions, but like some other like, uh, like things that have hurt him with the Republican base over the past six months. Um, particularly, actually, one of them is just kind of a boring practical thing, getting in unnecessarily involved in, in the midterm. Right. I mean, like he created this opening for Ron DeSantis, right, by endorsing all these losers, you know, and letting Ron DeSantis win and be like, hey, I'm a winner. He's a loser. Right. And and had Trump just sat on his ass in Mar-a-Lago and like showed the Kim Jong-un love letters to cougars and like sent out truths and whatever, ate well done steaks and like kind of, you know, sat back, he probably would be stronger. So I think that has really weakened him. And and I think that just generally, you know, we're just in a, we're in a different environment than we were in 2016. You know, as far as him not being the new new blood anymore. All that said, he's got a clear base of support. He's got no real credible threats besides one guy, Ron DeSantis, who has not had to perform underneath the bright lights, and uh, you know, is very grating to say the least. So, you know, I mean, I, I, it's not. I mean, I think that certainly he's in as strong of shape as some of the other front runners that we've had, you know, some of them lost. You might remember one, Hillary. He's probably in similar strong strength to Hillary, right? There was one person that could have beaten her, right? And he turned out to be very talented on yeah. the campaign trail. But had Barack Obama turned out to be, you know, somebody far less talented on the campaign trail, I, we won't, I won't trigger your listeners and name any, any names. Um, maybe... <laughs> You know, she probably would have won that one, right? And then, and then he's probably as strong as Hillary was the next time when she does end up winning against against Bernie, right? So I, you know, I, I think that you know sometimes you get tempted in the pundit space to be like Trump's dying or Trump's unstoppable, and like that's not really what's happening. He's a he's a weak but clear front runner. Yeah, the big, I mean, the the reason I think the the Hillary comparison is somewhat apt here is because unlike 2015, he's like the most known figure in the country maybe the planet at this point and hard to find anyone who doesn't have an opinion of him a strong opinion of him so when you think that he's like getting you know around 30 percent of the republican vote right now or at least 30 percent of like 30 percent of the republican electorate seems like they're diehard trump supporters you wonder if that's close to hitting the ceiling Oh, we're back like, to who's the, changing their mind Ra- at this point? Ross Douthat here. We're back to the ceiling conversation. I'm getting like PTSD <laughs> from the 2016 campaign. This was our whole theory of the case. He had the ceiling. No, I don't yeah. think so. Look, if you listen to the, you know, the focus groups we do at the Bork and that Sarah Lungle does, um, uh, you know, I, the, and if you just look at the polls and, and talk to Republicans, like the, the of overwhelming majority, maybe it's 70, maybe it's 80, you know, maybe it's 85, right? You can pick the number like Donald Trump, right? And so the competition here is not among 
never Trumpers or people that hate him or have moved on. You know, that's a small minority within the party. The competition here is Trump has his base of people who really love him. Let's call that 30% for the sake of conversation. Then there's 60% that like him, but are like, eh, I could be ready to move on. Maybe I'm tired of him. Maybe I'm tired of losing. Maybe I could find somebody I like better. Um, and then there's 10% that dislike him, right? And so that 60 is really where this competition is going to be. You know, this primary is going to be you know, focused on. Uh, and so I don't think he's got to – I mean, if Ron DeSantis bailed out – and decide not to run, or, or he just doesn't wear well, as I've said, and, and Trump, and let's say he decides to drop out, he says, I'll, I'll do better if I run in 2028, and Trump ends up running against Mike Pence and Nikki Haley, and he's going to get 85% of the primary. Of yeah. the primary. Yeah. So no, that's, I, don't, that's, yeah. I don't think that he's got a ceiling anywhere near 30. I'm sorry, John. I wish that that was okay. true. No, that's, that's that, I, I get, well, let's talk about the 60% then, mm-hmm. because they're going to be making their decision, and one of their ways they're going to be making their decision is just to consume the information they get from their information environment, which is, you know, uh, right-wing media. I don't right. know. I call it MAGA media, right-wing media. What do you call it now? It's not conservative media. I'm sure you wouldn't call it that. Do you have a no, name MAGA. for it? Yeah, you have a name yeah, for the, the, MAGA, the media MAGA media universe? What, yeah. Yeah, multiverse. <laughs> okay. the eco- yeah. yeah, I say ecosystem, but, what? you know, multiverses are in now, so... What's your take on the, on the MAGA media primary so far? Like, who's sticking with Trump? Who's Ron yeah. curious? Who's undecided? How much does any of this matter? I assume it matters quite a bit. It matters a ton. And this is, you know, my burden as a former Republican. It's my continued penance <laughs> that I feel like I have to give back, that I listen to these assholes and read them and follow them. Because I, I, a lot of people really don't. You know, I think it's easy to kind of say, you know, to be in your media bubble in D.C. or New York and be like, eh, I don't know. What, what's the point of listening to Steve Bannon's podcast? Or this like Matt Walsh guy who's obsessed with trans people is like a joke. Like who, if you go to the podcast rankings, if you go to the YouTube views, like Steven Crowder and Three Shirted Bannon and Matt Walsh and Candace Owens, and these people are like up with you, Fab. So they're at the top of the list. Like they're at the top of the charts. You're competing with them. Like that's your competitive set, okay, yeah. as far as ratings are concerned. So, you know, the other stuff, um, and then obviously primetime Fox, uh, which includes the five now, which is which is you know probably I guess is it the, most the best show on television. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, it's certainly the most popular. <laughs> um, uh, I heard an interesting theory that the five gets the best ratings actually because a certain demographic of Fox viewers falls asleep after the five is over. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. I think maybe <laughs> it's just the dynamism of the panel. But um, uh, so like this all really matters, right? And so if you if you the only consuming of of conservative mega whatever media you get is like these clips of Fox on on Twitter, like okay, well that's somewhat representative, but there's this whole other universe that's kind of blind to people. And that's on Facebook, it's on all these alt-right social media apps, you know, it's on YouTube and podcasting, it's on TikTok. And and I think that it's extremely important. And and the most interesting thing about as it relates to that 60% is most of those people are at least DeSantis curious. Like DeSantis has mm. locked down a like and this is what makes him I think stronger than anybody in 2016 just as a single person is that like the national review which doesn't matter at all that represents about 4% of the Republican primary base but like they're running a Ron DeSantis fanzine <laughs> right like that is like a group of people that like ranges from active never trumpers to like trump maybe to i really really hate trump but i have to vote for him anyway because the libs are mean right like so that kind of world 
They love mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis, okay, and like are lecturing people who don't want to support him. Then, but then you take it all the way up to your Candace Owens, is you know what's happening in the Daily Wire, what's happening in. We'll get into this, uh, you know, on these big like Twitter personalities and social media personalities, MAGA person, uh, social media personalities. All of them like uh, DeSantis. It's really it, you. It's really this tiny sliver of you know ultra super MAGA like Steve Bannon world that is hostile to DeSantis. So, I mean, he covers most of the ground, about 90% of the ground. And and in 16, it was much more divided, right? Like nobody had that broad of support within the conservative media universe. So then it sounds like of the biggest personalities in this world, you got Bannon, who's who's sticking with Trump. Feels like Hannity's still pretty much on uh, in, in Trump's corner. Are there any other like still hardcore big name Republican media personalities who are like squarely with Trump again. Oh boy. I have to pull up the great Olivia Nuzzi profile of who showed up to the this announcement. The Mar-a-Lago, you know, the announcement. Brick man. I can't get brick man out of my head. Brick man was there. <laughs> um, brick man. Uh, the man that wears the brick suit, <laughs> the wall suit, <laughs> <laughs> the man that wears the wall suit. He's sticking. Oh, cause Trump. it's the wall. It's the wall. Yeah, it's the wall. It. Build the wall. It. It's bricks. Yeah. It. It's a suit of bricks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brickman was there. I mean, squarely in Trump's corner, you know, like that. I think that's the point. Like, not, not, wow. not really. I, I, I guess I'm sure as we go along, I'm, I'm like one person might come to mind, but like for the most part, I mean, like he's got, you know, American greatness are the, you know, your cat turds of the world, right? Like, there are some right. like Donald yeah. Trump. Cat turd very firmly yeah. in the Donald Trump. Yeah, Elon cat Musk turd camp. too. Um, so then you've got, I don't know what happened to cat turd one, but then you've got like, are the Donald, right? So there's some like pure Donald Trump fans, but of, of like your big personalities that I'm talking about, like, no, not really. I mean, does, uh, uh, some of them are very much playing both sides, right? So I, I went to the TPUSA thing, which I suffered through in Arizona, and all of those people were, were both and were, you know, Charlie Kirk, um, you know, your Matt, all the whole Daily Wire extended universe, uh, Benny Johnson, right? Like when at that at that function, you know, everybody on stage was just doing the, oh, we love them both so much. They're so great. Um, so it's so it's not as if, you know, once you get into kind of real, real MAGA world, they're like pro DeSantis, anti Trump. But 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 Trump right. doesn't have a lock on these people at all. So there have been some rumors and in, in reporting that the Murdochs are done with Trump and, and might uh, throw their empire behind DeSantis. Do you buy that? Or are they just sort of, uh, you know, if, if the voters follow Trump, will they just sort of fall back in line? I mean, I think we'll know based on how much Trump um, is on Fox, Right. Um, and I think mm. they'll try to like, I don't think that look, I don't think the Murdoch's, uh, you know, Tuck, we've all watched Succession. You know, Tucker is the power player there, not Lackland. You know, Lackland doesn't tell Tucker what to say. Right. So, yeah. you know, and I think that there's like a lack of control over some of their biggest personalities to the point that it doesn't really matter um, what the Murdoch's opinion mm. is. But is Trump like Fox and Friends? You know, how friendly does Fox and Friends get towards DeSantis? Uh, this is another, it's a good answer to your question. I, I knew more would come to me. So there's that right-wing TV universe to the right of Fox. They're all very pro-Trump. Now, maybe not every personality, uh, yeah. right? But your OANs, your, OANs, your, Newsmax, your Newsmax, your Real America's Voice. Don't sleep on Real America's Voice, John. Um, I spend a lot of time I, I think that's the first time them. I've heard that. Who's, what's, I don't even uh, know what Real America's Voice they're, is. They're big, yeah. Um, uh, they stream all three hours of Bannon's podcast, um, oh. the video, or maybe it's four hours now. Um, so that's their anchor. 
Uh, for but, people who just for people who don't want to just listen to Bannon, but they need to see, him. <laughs> yeah, you know, they need to see like what the what the latest deterioration is of his skin and like how yellowed it has gotten. Um, how but, many uh, how many uh, polo shirts he's wearing? What are the layers? Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, uh, Charlie Kirk's got a show on that. Looks like Ted Nugent does. I just pulled it up here. Yeah, there's you know some other guy, Steve Gruber, the, the guy, and then there's a guy on Newsmax that was the New York, um, but Greg Kelly, you know, he's going to be pretty staunchly in Trump's camp. So, so that crowd is. Uh, but no, I, I think that no, Fox is going to be pretty DeSantis friendly. But again, Fox is has shown time and time again that they're going to go where their people go, right? And so the, right. the question kind of remains, right? Like, let's say Trump dominates DeSantis coming out here and, and the shine wears off. I don't really expect that. But if that happened, Fox will be right back in Trump's camp in no time, right? Uh, this Fox right. wasn't pro-Trump at the beginning of 2016. Famously, you know, for uh, anybody who wasn't old enough to have, to have lived through it and have my lines from it, the very first debate was Fox. And that was Megyn Kelly you know, the very first question of the very oh, first yeah. debate yeah. to Trump was like Meg- it was like Megyn Kelly asking about all the sexist comments and Trump's, you know, saying that she was bleeding out of her wherever. Right. That was debate one. Yeah. Like they thought that was like that was kind of a Fox top down. Like we're going to try to hit this guy and he and he crushed them. So, you know, we've kind of been down this road before with the with the Murdoch's. Welcome to a trip you'll never forget in Denver, where summer sunshine sparks mountain adventure, where neighborhood strolls lift spirits sky high, and where music takes center stage at Red Rocks. Catch a baseball game at Coors Field, step into new dimensions at Meow Wolf, and take flavor to the next level under the stars at a Michelin restaurant. Denver, always welcome. Plan your trip at visitdenver.com slash summer. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So you ask people, you know, who are the most influential players in the MAGA media universe? People would probably go right to Fox in primetime, talk about Tucker, talk about those characters. Who are some of the like biggest names in the MAGA media universe who have a lot of juice with the base that people in the reality-based community who who might not listen to this all the time um, wouldn't necessarily know? Like if you want to reach the biggest audience of Republican primary voters that's not just on Fox? Like, who are you talking to besides the 
the Fox primetime host. Yeah, well, I mean, the obvious answers are people think people that folks will know. So I'll start with that before I start dropping any deep cuts on you. But Candace, <laughs> you know, I mean, Candace, like, oh, it, Candace's own. audience is insane. So when we do the MAGA focus groups uh, and, and just sort of get a sense for what people are listening to and all that and ask them, Candace is the number one thing that everybody says. And when we ask about 2024, wow, you know, if it's like, hey, if not Trump, and not DeSantis. Like, what are some other names out there that you like? Candace gets brought up all the time, even though we did. We had, and where, does Candace have a podcast or what? Where else is she? Is she on TV? Uh, I don't even know. Uh, where no, she, no, no. She's not she on TV. It's her own brand media ecosystem. But yeah, no. Yes, she has a hugely rated podcast. Maybe not as good as yours, but you know, pretty huge. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how it compares your YouTube views. She's got huge YouTube numbers. Um, she's across all of the social feeds, right? So like, and then she's in people's Facebook feeds. She's she's like multi-platform in that sense, and then does a lot of you know speaking and going on to the other, do, doing the other stuff. So no, her and she's her, part of the Daily Wire extended universe. She is part of the da- she is part of the, the Daily Wire extended universe, um, and that's why you know when she was like going pro Kanye, when he was pro Nazi, like Ben Ben and them didn't dump her. Right. I mean, yeah. you couldn't. But uh, I mean, you know, I just pull and look, she's got three point three million on Twitter, similar on Instagram and her YouTube numbers are huge. So Candace, I think, is number one. She, and then Ben, um, I guess the whole kind of then you'd get into the rest of the Daily Wire. But she is first among uh, not no, with no equal as far as hearing what these people listen to. And then it's I, again, I, I hate to keep giving the guy credit, but then it's like the Bannon podcast world, you know, that podcast is a top 10 podcast but it is airing on this show it's live streams get big numbers like bannon unfortunately i had to spend time with him as as uh, people might know when i did the circus thing like he gets recognized right like like a little celebrity yeah. in that world um you know so um I, I and that's why the look the rnc chairs race basically took pace on his podcast right i mean it was like he had have harmita on and then he had rana on which is crazy I and mean, he's been indicted multiple times and and like it was uh, you know pro january 6th it's like they learned learn nothing from the midterms but for sure that's a big one i mean i think that you kind of now then get to a bit of a fracturing after that but i think that there is a, another kind of group of folks that now uh well crowder i should have mentioned crowder too I and mean, crowder's making 500 million apparently so he's doing pretty well i know i promised uh that if you came on i would not make you talk about the stephen crowder uh <laughs> ben shapiro daily wire no. fight you, well, you promised was the, you promised to not make me have to learn about the details of their contract dispute which i, I like that was my line <laughs> i will i, I will I, I will monitor what stephen crowder is doing and speaking about politically i can't care about his contract is a dispute with the Daily Wire. No, the only anyway. the only number that popped out at me from that that I wanted to bring up to you is that he's got three hundred thousand people paying ninety nine dollars a year subscription for him. That's why he's making that show. Three hundred thousand people are paying a hundred dollars a year for Steven Crowder. I bear I've like heard that name a bunch of times, but I don't think I've ever heard Steven Crowder before. You really haven't. I mean, probably they're all a lot of them just look and sound the same. He's just like someone yelling into a microphone about something that they're aggrieved about. But um, yeah, oh, I, yeah, I, mean, I definitely no. heard the name, but I, I'm not I'm not from I'm not too familiar with Stephen. Oh, uh, I go way back with old Steve. But um, OK, yeah, no, but his he's big. He, I mean, that, that's look and just 300,000 right there. I mean, that's all Republican primary voters. I mean, how many you know, how many are you, people are we really talking about in this university you're trying to get to? Um, so that's a big one. We should have mentioned in the um, sticking with Trump camp. The Trump family 
has their own. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, like Don Jr. is now media uh, personality of his, in his uh, in his own regard. Um, that's pretty big. You've got your Tommies. You 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 keep track of Tommy. Yeah, of course. Tommy, of course. Tommy Lauren. Yeah, it's important. Just one final thing at the turning point thing. There is now like this second tier. Right, which is like, okay, this isn't a one stop shop. If I'm trying to get famous, I don't I can't go on with Diamond and Silk anymore, RIP Diamond. But um there are like middle level diamonds all over the place. Right. Like this was like a right. big takeaway for me from going to the turning point thing. And I started following some of them just because I like to suffer, you know, and and you know, like just dudes or a lot of times, actually, it's people of color, it's gays, right? Because, you know, you get a little extra juice for that, being like the gay that's like, I'm the gay for Trump, right? This gets Christian Walker, right. Christian Walker's kid, very famous. But, um, yep. you know, there's like these little celebrities walking around. Like, there's, there's this whole celebrity ecosystem. I mean, I go down the escalator, you know, it's like it's like going down the, the stairs to the gates of hell. And I got to tell you, you've never heard of Real America's Voice. I'm in this world, and I try, and I'd never heard of some of these things. Like, there were like nine different conservative streaming outlets and then they're like these little tiktok influencers walking around and and people are and they're getting recognized selfies are happening and so you know i I think that like underneath kind of the radar of everybody you know is is this other ecosystem and i and i do think that the 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 daily beast story you know the desantis guys are doing a good job of kind of trying to penetrate that world too and those all those people matter way more in the republican primary than like rich lowry yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Well, which is interesting, be- and because that media ecosystem is such a bubble and so closed off from uh, the rest of America, I think the rest of America, or particularly like the elites in 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 DC, political elites in DC and New York, especially in uh, journalism and politics, they do think Rich, like Rich Lowry, gets invited onto the Meet the Press panel, and everyone thinks like Rich Lowry represents the Republican Party or whoever they have on. And meanwhile, there's just this like army of influencers and TikTok stars and podcast hosts that have a lot of juice in this primary. Oh yeah, and and this is true of Republican like elites even like more so, frankly, than Democratic elites, right? Because they don't want to yeah. know, right, what's happening. You know, like they don't like, like, because they have to live in their comfortable bubble where they're still voting for tax cuts. You know, it's like my big, every time I talk to a Republican, I'm like, I need, you have, I'm giving you homework. You're listening to one hour of the Charlie Kirk show or the Steve Bannon podcast. <laughs> like that is it. Like you, like, I'm giving you homework and you need to know what's actually happening out there because it's, it's a completely different, different conversation. I mean, I just, I just pulled out the American Fest because I couldn't remember these people's names because they're all just generic, but like, it's like when the Coachella lineup comes out and you start to feel old because you're like, I've never heard of this. Like Blackpink is, is, yeah. the, is the headliner. I've never heard of Blackpink. <laughs> this is like this. It's like Brandon Tatum. It's like the number three headliner. I, I never heard of him. He was, he's, this, he's a black conservative. Like I clicked on his, you know, one of his social accounts. It's like a million followers, right? I'm like, oh, okay. Well, no wonder he was, wow. he was headlining ahead of Madison Cawthorn, you know? So like there is, there's another layer of like things like that that's happening out there. So one of those uh, sort of like new darlings of the right uh, that's popped up in the last couple of years is uh, libs of TikTok creator mm. uh, Chaya Rychik. Trump and DeSantis have both been courting her. DeSantis, I, I guess, called her to offer her refuge from all the angry libs at the at the governor's mansion. Mm. Said she said she could stay there as long as she wants. Mm. She's getting attacked by the libs, and uh, and then Trump invited her to Mar-a-Lago. Just took a picture with her. Can you explain to people why uh, libs of TikTok? has become a thing. 
It's your fault, mostly, John, um, for getting outraged by it. If you just <laughs> ignore it, we're the libs in the title. Yeah, yeah. you're the libs. Um, uh, so let's see. Let's how's rightly done. What under what undergirds all this is it's an like one of the central tenets of the MAGA ethos, right? Is is one is that they are the ones that are being discriminated against and they are the aggrieved, right? Okay, so that's one element mm-hmm. of it. And the other one is that it's the libs that are the crazy ones. Right. And because and I think they feel like and I heard this a lot in the speeches. I and mean, this was very this was like Tucker's most of his speech to this turning point conference I went to. And he um you know, he's talking about how it didn't make any sense to him. He's like, I think I'm no how would any normal person vote for these people? Right. Because they do the, they do this nut picking, right? Where they're like, Okay, well we might have, you know, George Santos and Anthony DeVold or whatever his name is, and like the crazy, the racist game show host is the president. We might all have all these lunatics in Congress, but look at this one teacher in Saginaw and what she said that was really strange. Like she wore cat ears to class and like wants to, you know, <laughs> says her pronouns are meow or whatever. I, you know, like there's this one person, right? And so, oh man, they are the crazy ones, right? Not us. Like we're normal. Yeah. Okay. We're the ones that are like, we just, I just want to go by he, you know, like, I don't know. All right. Like that's their, that's the whole shtick. Right. And so they, they need a constant stream of examples to like prove to themselves. Like we're not the crazy ones. Right. I promise. <laughs> We're not the crazy ones. It's them that is crazy. And and so Lachaya at the lives of TikTok basically, you know, filled this this need. Uh, she was the supplier. Um, uh, <laughs> there was a lot of demand for crazy libs saying stuff, and she she filled the supply side of the equation. And so, you know, the account is pretty gross, right? I mean, you know, like when it first came out, you'd see it. And now everything is through the context of, I mean, it's, it's directly targeting trans people mostly, but also, you know, broader LGBT folks um, and, and other uh, marginalized folks. But um, when I didn't really realize who the person was behind it, you know, it pops into your feed and I, you can see how people get sucked into this. You're like, one, it's like, oh, this is kind of mean that she's doing this. And then one will come up and be like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, it's harmless, right? Like, it's a video of somebody yeah. doing a TikTok where they're, you know, expressing their sexuality in a way that's a little quirky or fun or whatever and it's like you know ben ben shapiro like there's only one segment he does that i, I find actually funny because he's not funny at all but he they like his producers which also speaks to this need to find extreme stuff like find like like a polyamorous quadruple you know that does like a little video about themselves and like ben just kind of reacts to the video and he's like you guys are weird and it's yeah. kind of like ah like i don't want to laugh at ben shapiro but like it is kind of you know so she filled that void right Okay, but then it gets darker and darker, right? It goes, you know, as anything does when you're picking and uh, picking on people and being cruel to people. But like, uh, she goes down this rabbit hole where it's really targeting people, and then she then she literally begins targeting people, you know, by by posting things that's yeah. like, hey, there is this drag show that's happening at your library in San Antonio on Friday. Like, people should go, right? So she then becomes kind of like a digital organizer of these protests that obviously become violent in certain places, like Colorado Springs wasn't a protest but you know there been violence targeting uh drag performers so so you know it's gotten really dark but like i think that like the genesis of her popularity was like you know i think you know based on this insecurity of republicans knowing how how like their whole all of their candidates for senate were all freaks and like you need to balance this out by like finding crazy liberals to make yourself feel better about this and and that was kind of the genesis of her popularity but then it's it's skyrocketed and now i mean you know she's like feeding Fox and all, you know, all these other folks for, with content. 
I think the the funnel there though is is important. You know, that like the 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 sort of lighter hearted <laughs> cruelty, right? Where she just mocks right. people. That's how she gets sort of mainstreamed or platformed on play you know like the yeah. joe rogans will pick that up and right. other you know sort right. of more mainstream places will pick that up and everything oh well it's funny that wasn't too harmful and that's just a little quirky and then you know right. the further you get into it much like anything else on the internet you go down and down the rabbit hole and now they're having to clear out mass general hospital right because uh she's or, or whatever yeah. i think it was mass general or children's hospital there <laughs> yeah. in boston that they thought libs of tiktok like sort of uh, you know incentivize people to go uh call in bomb threats yeah uh, Sick. because of uh what she was yeah, and then the Joe Rogan thing. I don't know if Rogan has actually yeah. done this, but like other things, it's the shock jock thing, right? Other folks have done this, right? And that, and, yes. and it's, and you know, and and so this is not to defend them, but you can kind of understand how they get like hooked into it, right? And then so then you're promoting her, you know, she's getting like tons and tons and tons more views, and and now I mean she's like now she doesn't even need that because she's this darling, and, and Trump uses all of his prop platforms, and and uh, you know his kids do, and so um, how important she is in like the primary setting i don't know right i mean so she's really influential in a lot of these ways that are very disturbing you know but i i you know i don't she hasn't proven that she's like she's not crossing over and like running a podcast and analyzing races right and making endorsements and all that sort of stuff but but i mean, obviously she they feel important enough that she is being courted by both of the two leading contenders so you know you went to this uh this turning point usa america yeah. fest after the midterms uh, I know before that you've uh, you're an avid listener of of Steve Bannon's I am. War Room podcast, like our like our friend Tommy. Um, I, I know you listened to like a full week of it around uh, the uh, yeah. uh, insurrection anniversary mm-hmm. uh, last year. What's been bouncing around that echo chamber lately? Like now that they've had a tough midterm, are they strategizing about how to actually beat the libs in the next election, or are they just content oh. owning the libs? <laughs> content owning? No. No, there, there is not. <laughs> I mean, without besides this sort of like, there is this like DeSantis is a magic, you know, you know, kind of fairy dust element to everything, right? Like, we don't really have mm-hmm. to think about this because you know, for the ones who believe that Trump lost, right? It's like we don't have to really think about this that deeply because look, he won by twenty in Florida, and we'll, he'll, we'll just use his magic fairy dust, and so we can just keep on doing our deal, and and we don't have to actually reflect on on why we lost all these races. And then the ones that don't believe that they lost all these races, like that's, th- this is an important element. Carrie Lake, who lost in Arizona, held a rally on Sunday, this past Sunday, across from the an AFC championship game. <laughs> she, she is not currently <laughs> a candidate for anything. She lost the governor's race. It is in the middle of a very prime sporting event people were lined up around the block I, I this is not spin from her people i it was like there was a democrat really? yes i had a i had a friend that was there and i was and, and he was calling me he's like man i it was in my neighborhood i went to this thing just kind of like check it out just like see if there's a dot this was like mostly i think for schadenfreude purposes you know he was like i wanted yeah, right. i wanted to kind of just like laugh and he was like i wish i could have laughed like it was a full house not how many people are there a thousand or whatever i don't who knows but like still there so and that is all this alt alt reality like oh we didn't really lose you know the, the machines are out to get us thing so there's that element um the thing that is the most the vaccines is the thing that continues and this will be a ve- the most interesting thing about how DeSantis plays this and how Trump plays this the vaccines are the hot button there is the uh, are you aware of the Damar Hamlin actually died and they are showing his yes. body double 
Yeah. Yep. That one oh, is yes. out there. Sorry. So that's in, that's in yeah, okay. So that one's in the more extreme. That's like in the Stu Peters universe. I didn't mention him anywhere, but Stu is like also a top. I don't know who that I, is. I, I think he's beating the Bulwark podcast. I don't know. I like we're competing with Stu. You're competing with you know Candace. We're competing with Stu down at, you know down in the twenties. <laughs> like I keep an eye on the ratings. So like this is not a not nothing. <laughs> uh, so so that was Stu. He was he was pushing that, and I'm sure some other people. But but just general like um. There was an MSNBC host that, that had a myocarditis weekend MSNBC host. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this. She had to take a couple of days off. She went on the show and said, I had a you know a little heart uh, ruffle. It seemed like a real scare, actually. It's pretty uh, a little pretty scary. But uh, it has on the mend. It's back on TV. It's a weekend MSNBC host. And, um, oh, man, that video was going wild uh, yesterday or Monday whenever I was I was doing my rounds like of them See, trying to dunk on her, make fun of her. Oh, she obviously got this from the vaccine and uh, and she was a healthy person. Why did she even take this vaccine? So like the, all of that, like the COVID culture war stuff has not lost any steam. See, that's so interesting to me. We talked about this on Tuesday's Pod Save America because, you know, Trump and DeSantis are now sort of sniping at each other over you know who was who was more anti-vaccine right. <laughs> because the the winner of that is the is the winner of the primary right it's not that's a bizarro world but i thought like you know what is covid politics still going to be relevant to republican primary voters two years after this whole thing started like it feels like picking a fight over an issue that is largely in the past at least the political conflict over it being in the past if not the actual disease itself but i i I don't know i mean the republican base is pretty crazy so maybe it has salience for the next two years i don't know that was my instinct as well it was and it was at the you know at it was the thing at the tp the tpsa thing gave me like a little bit of a different vantage point because you know, um, then then you know, just me and Tommy's like weekly um, uh, Steve Bannon appointment. Uh, that is because I talked to like the attendees, right? And the thing that I uh, asked everybody, I was like, uh, like the, just the first question, you know, after pleasantries, um, was like, what, like, what's getting you riled <laughs> up right now? You know, like, what's the animating issue for you? And like, anti woke COVID Ukraine. Not not on the good side of Ukraine. Wow, you know, like that was it. And yeah, Ukraine was like say, a distant. Yeah. <laughs> Ukraine's like a distant third. It was really like anti woke stuff. Co- you know, COVID, which I would enca- encapsulate as like vaccine or still being mad about schools shutting down, and like those were the two things that came out of people's mouths. And like college Republicans, older folks that went there, um, I th- that was completely consistent. The other thing from those conversations and from the speeches is I would be like, okay, well, after the loss, like to your original question here, like, what do you think they should be doing differently? And like, there just wasn't, you know, like the answers to that were all very random, like one-off peccadillos that they have. Oh, we should be better on the data. I mean, some people didn't believe that machines worked, right? But oh, like the Democrats out out foxed us on certain things, right? Or tur- turnout. But there was no, I, nobody was like, Man, we should be tamping this down. Like, I'm concerned about the fact that in Arizona, in Maricopa County, like eight percent of registered Republicans voted for Katie Hobbs. Like, um, like that, you would think that would be the place to start, right? How do we get those people back? Um, but, but you know, I would follow up with that, and and it just, you know, I, they there is this kind of mythical non-voting working class person out there 
that they are going to win back, right? It's this sort of idea of, oh, no, like, we just need to keep fighting this culture war. And DeSantis figured it out. And, like, some of the other candidates weren't as good. And maybe it was cheating in certain places, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, like, we're letting you people go. So, um, you people being me. Um, And, uh, which is fine, by the way. (laughs) That's a mutual divorce. Uh, You know, I, I think that is, like, the big you know, takeaway. And, and I think that it shows that just again, like how insulated, like their news environment is, right? Like if those, yeah. if like those are the big items for them, you know, it, like it, it, it really is very separate from kind of like what's happening on the Wall Street Journal. I mean, speaking of their news environment, like, do you think there's any incentive for, for Trump, DeSantis, or any of these Republican candidates to do interviews or make media appearances outside the right-wing echo chamber during the primary? Like, are we down to just, we're not going to hear much from them on mainstream uh, news outlets? There definitely is no incentive to, like, try to engage on the merits. Like, what did Donald Trump get out of the John Swan interview? And John did a great job, right? So not everybody's going to be as good as him. But, like, nothing, right? Like, I mean, he just got embarrassed and clowned and... um, you know, just revealed like to be uh, the kind of lying lightweight that he is, right? So the question is, DeSantis has used the Christie model of like yelling at the poor, you know, Tampa News 5 reporter who just like wants to like asks like a reasonable question, right? About like this teacher at a university like had to quit their class, you know, because of your stupid Stop Woke Act. And like, aren't you concerned about that? And he's like, you know, and then he yells at her. Right. Um, So there'll be some of that. Um, I think that there's some value in doing that uh, for them. But mostly the main lesson that I like, the main observation I have that I want to pass along is like, they also can really survive just doing interviews in all of these outlets and there are just so many more than you realize like DeSantis did an interview with and they're propping up in the states with like some you know Florida whatever you know fair and balanced Florida right like dot org but then you know that like you take the clip from it you know you send it to all the trolls that you're paying you know on your social media feeds it gets in their Facebook feeds right and so that's like the same right so if you're if, if you're just thinking about this as a consumer if you are a mega hat wearing fox watching you know resident of at Tampa right like and you see on your Facebook Ron DeSantis doing an interview with some person you don't know who's like you know some hack in Florida right and he's like you know ranting about the issue of the day that's news for you, right? Well, I mean, I that's say, news DeSantis, for you. DeSantis yeah. doing the interview legitimizes the outlet because it's like, well, right. Ron DeSantis is talking to these people. And then right. for the outlet, they get Ron DeSantis, you know? Right. So it's a... Yeah, well, and then for DeSantis, he gets, right, like this, oh, I I've, I talked about this. I covered this, you know, like go back and look at whatever, yeah. Florida, whatever today. So, and there are a million of those that have sprouted. And so I, I don't... No, I don't. I don't think that there's a ton of value. I and mean, certain issues, you know, there gonna be certain times. And the New York Times did a pretty friendly Ron DeSantis article today. I would say, a little friendlier than maybe I would have done. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I, I think that you, they're they're right. There maybe are strategic moments where you feel like you can engage, but I think for the most part, they're going to pretty much duck media outside of their bubbles. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast 
will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ashley's Memorial Day sale is going on now. Shop our biggest selection of hot buys, cool deals, or shop limited time savings on new summer spaces. Plus, get 72-month special financing on select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Whether you're redecorating indoors or rethinking your outdoor space, save big on this season's trending styles. Only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. No minimum purchase required. See store for details. I mean, so they got their right-wing media channels. They're also going to have their own media channels. Uh, you know, Elon invited uh, Trump back to Twitter. Zuck invited him back to Facebook and Instagram. Uh, he hasn't taken up either on their offer just yet, though I, I can't imagine he'll abstain for much longer. How do you think Trump's expected return to both platforms will affect the primary? Is it going to help him, hurt him, neither? Too early to tell. I think he needs them for the primary. Probably hurts him net and like... With general audience and the Republican Party brand, I think it was good for him and the Republican Party brand that he was off Twitter, probably, um, you know, uh, sending those like insane truths into the ether, um, like requiring people to like screenshot them. I just didn't have the same effect yeah. um, of, of uh, like, uh, and so in a primary though, Facebook fundraising. Trump is struggling on fundraising, which is, I think, another sign of his weakness as a frontrunner, which is another parallel to some of the past establishment frontrunners who don't, didn't have that juice anymore to raise the online money. But part of that for Trump is that he can't do the Facebook ads, you know, give me five bucks right now to say F you to the, you know, whatever. Um, right. And so Facebook was a big resource for him for money. So getting back on there at minimum is important for that for him. And yeah, I think that platform wise, you know, he's been a little bit out of the conversation. I mean, Trump's strength has always been dominance, right? I'm dominating the the like dominating the field here. Like I'm yeah. everywhere. You can't get away from me. I'm I'm the alpha. I'm 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 starting these conversations. They're responding to me. It's hard to do that on truth, right? So I think it on mm. net probably yeah. probably helps him, even though maybe medium term isn't isn't great for the party for him to be back on. And obviously it's not good for, you know, our societal fabric. Well, that's, yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> Charlie Warzel had this very funny subhead on his piece about Trump coming back to Facebook. He said, at least the platform finally added a user. Um, do you, how much do you think Facebook or Instagram or Twitter will matter in 2024? Like, do you think it, it matters as much? Do you think their juice is not quite what it was? Um, yeah, I know. I think that they matter. Uh, Instagram, certainly. Facebook, who's on Facebook still, right? This is kind of like us hipsters in our media environment always like want to get ahead of like <laughs> does talk radio matter like 
not yeah. really, I guess, but like who listens to talk radio? Old people in the Midwest, right? Like who are dry, you know, like yeah. who listens to talk radio in Iowa? Well, Republicans are still doing Iowa, right? Like people that are out on their, you know, combines or doing long drives or, you know, so has Facebook lost its juice? Like obviously, but the people that are still on there, I think are going to overlap Boomers. Uh, yeah, quite a bit with the Republican primary electorate. So um, I do think that's important. The observation I have, and I don't really have a great answer to this, but I don't hear anybody talking about this, is um, the TikTok. Um, I mean, the, like, for mm. all of this conversation, you should maybe have a whole offline on this, find some somebody that's an expert on this to bring in. So I'm just going to give you my anecdotal. You know, we all. First of all, I just wanted. I just wanted to start by you. you just you did say uh, the TikTok made yeah. you sound like a real elder millennial. Well, <laughs> I am. I'm. I'm. I'm not. I am who I am, John. Um, I'm on. I'm on it. You know, I've got my FYP. I'm not. Te- I'm not telling you what's in my FYP. Okay, that's private. Um, <laughs> no, but, I, I'm not. I'm. I'm not sharing that with anyone. Okay, but um, I'm on. I'm on it because I want to see what's happening. Uh, uh, and you know, it's a, it's addictive. It is. Yeah, it is. Uh, so. The people that are talking about concerns about misinformation and like what kind of information are voters getting, you know, going to the primary and, and manipulation, you know, I, I feel like everybody's talking about like it, like it's 2016, right? Where we're worried about, you know, Twitter and him getting back on Twitter, him getting back on Facebook. But the black box that is tech, the tech, TikTok's algorithm and like the mm. amount of insanity on there uh, and, you know, how like I said, there can be these influencers, these Turning Point USA things and other Republican things that that we that have no visibility to anybody in the media at all, right? That have 100,000 followers that are just spreading insane nonsense, right? Like everybody focused on the Twitter because it's in front of us, a Twitter conversation around Paul Pelosi, for example, right? Like the Paul Pelosi conspiracies. I went down a TikTok rabbit hole trying to find Paul Pelosi conspiracies and it's madness. And you come across, and every once in a while you'll just flip uh-huh. it and the next thing will come up and it'll be like, this has 200,000 likes. You know, it'll be some guy talking about how Paul Pelosi's gay lover did whatever, right? Or some other thing that's not true. So I, I don't yeah. I don't exactly know what that impact is going to be on the Republican primary. And maybe that's a cycle away because of the demographic uh, of, of Republicans. But I, I, I think that, um, you know, sometimes we fight the last battle on this stuff. Yeah. And uh, probably not great that the... Uh that the Chinese government uh, could be uh, fucking with the algorithm themselves. Right. <laughs> because that seems like it'd be a, a good way to screw with uh, American politics. Yeah, you know? it does. You mentioned the influencers. We've referenced this Daily Beast piece a couple times. So they published this piece the other week about um, DeSantis's people recruiting an army of influencers to amplify all that top-notch DeSantis content out there. Um, apparently, they're luring them in with offers of money, and fake followers. Is this a new thing? And do you think this will be effective? I, no, I don't think it's new. Uh, Mike Bloomberg did this. Don't think it landed for Mike. Mm. Um, so there's always... It didn't land yeah, There is a supply and demand issue. I forgot, about that. I forgot about that move in the primary. Yeah, dude. Come yeah, on. Mike right. Bloomberg did it. I thought it was clever. You know, there's nothing wrong, I guess, in theory with paying... You know, like... Isn't organizing happening on social media, right? I, you know, so right. if you're going to have a yeah. person that's like puts in their feed, Team DeSantis, and has that. Okay. So the question is the the people who are presenting themselves as media, right? You know, the, the you know, paying people that are deeply problematic in various ways. Like in some ways, they were paying the one guy that's kind of only problematic in a funny way. It was the alpha. Um, blanking his name, Jack. 
I can picture him. He has, he has like a very soft face, but then he has this huge beard to cover it up. And he's oh, like, yeah. this whole thing is I'm an alpha man. And uh, and then he like was into cuckold porn. People found that he liked being cuckolded, and which is hey, whatever. Yeah. It teaches filming cuckold porn. Yeah, yeah. I would. Th- I was like, what is this story? I haven't heard this guy before. And then I like clicked off the Daily Beast. Article. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what's going on here? Emily's, Emily's like, what are you even? Guess she gets on your browser. What have you been doing there, John? Um, anyway, so that guy. But then there were some other folks like. Um, Oh gosh, I'm having a senior moment. All these, all these people are breaking my brain. Um, uh, but my uh, old friend uh, who always used to troll me on Twitter, anyway, he it was, you know, he he had had a lot of n-word posts on his social media, like people that were doing, um, uh, you know, a lot of the alt-right, you know, posting on these alt-right message boards, right? So, okay, so I, you know, I think there's kind of layers of potential scandal here. I, I think that it's a decent strategy. I don't know. I, I, a lot of campaigns spend money on a lot of stupid shit. So spending money on people that have a following. To support you, I, I think that you know in the in the, in the bulwark in uh, JVL's newsletter today, great newsletter which you confided me your d- daily reader of. It's impossible to write a good daily newsletter, impossible, and he does it. Um, so I love JVL. His newsletter today is smart. It's like is, this isn't really a scandal what DeSantis is doing. It's smart. And 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 if Trump was good, you know, Trump had all these people last time. So Trump didn't give him money. But how did Trump get? The Bill Mitchells. You remember Bill Mitchell got the big face, you know, who was, was always defending him? Okay, great. He was like a key person in the Trump cinematic universe in 2015, right? And and no matter what crazy shit Trump did, Bill Mitchell came up with an insane excuse for it. And then he got a thousand, ten thousand retweets. Okay. How did Bill Mitchell why what was what was the arrangement that was happening there? Well, Trump had Twitter, right? So he was quote tweeting them retweeting them, helping them, you know, elevating them, then they'd get big followings, which they could monetize various ways, you know, sell shirts or whatever, you know. Um, and uh, uh, and so there was this grift that wasn't like the, a direct, I'm paying you, but it was like, oh, I'm going to elevate all of these voices. That's how, you know, Diamond and Silk get famous and, and you could go down the list. And so Trump doesn't seem to be nurturing that community anymore. Right. And and I, I think that that does matter. Right. I, like they them coming to his defense. Nobody wants to go to a to an empty party. You know what I mean? Like uh, yep. people are attracted to uh, there's a group. We have a team. We're all in this together. And the fact that Trump had insane grifters tweeting defenses of him all the time when all the blue checks were attacking them made people want to come to his side, right? And so maybe Trump didn't do this intentionally. Maybe it was just his lizard brain, but like he cultivated this community. And, and that is withering a little bit. And DeSantis, I think, doesn't have the same whatever charisma and platform and all that that Trump does. So they're trying to make it a little artificially. And, and strategically, I think that's smart. Yeah. No, I I do think that, um, you know, the Daily Beast piece, sort of the tone of it was like, oh, he's got some second or third or fourth rate influencers that he's gathering up here. But to your point of like all the hundreds of influencers on the right that are out there that we've never heard of, who are people are taking selfies with at conferences and who have hundreds of thousands of listeners and are rising on the podcast charts, like, you know, you get that community, even if it's a bunch of grifters and lunatics uh, in, a, in the context of a primary. That's some uh, that's some real power. That's some real influence. So, you know, we've been talking about the fact that, like, these Republican candidates are like so ensconced in a, in a right wing media bubble. Like I was talking to Jane Kosen about this uh, when she was on the show and she was pointing out how Trump's stump speech in 2020 was so much more online than he was in 2016 and that like you really had to be 
a, a MAGA junkie to even know what he was talking about half the time and it ended up hurting him. And I do wonder if most of the party now has sort of followed him down this rabbit hole where, and I'm not saying that like, uh, yeah, we're fine in a general election. I feel I can, I can sleep easy at night, but I do think some of the shit that they obsess over is just not really important to your normie undecided voter even, right? Like do most people give a shit about gas stoves and drag queens and all the stuff that they're freaking out over all the time? I don't know. I don't think so, but. Yeah, just by just my own accountability here, Jack Murphy is your cuckold friend, and Caleb Hull was the uh, was Thank the N you. word guy. I had to get <laughs> Caleb Hull's name, the little prick. Um, okay, um, <laughs> I agree. I love this take by Jane. Totally agree with it, and I think that it's a little bit of an inversion. I like this was always the critique of the left, and I think that at times it still is a, a mm. fair critique, right? You know, and it's not usually to go left candidates, but more campaigns, right? It's like, who's running the Twitter feed for these candidates? A lot of times it's a super online 27-year-old. God love you, um, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, and and what they care about, you know, is maybe a little bit different than what the median voter, a non-college 50-year-old white person thinks about, right? And so that created tension for the Democrats. And there was a lot of discourse around this and narrative around this. And is that a problem? And and I was always inside of it was kind of a problem. I think that at times the Democrats hurt themselves unnecessarily just with rhetoric that was like that made them feel more out of touch as opposed to like their actual, you know, policies. Um and I think that this is inverted, right? I think that the Democrats have noticed this. There's still examples of this sometimes, of course. No one can have be fully in touch with the median voter, and maybe you don't really want to be fully in touch with the median voter at all times. But like, <laughs> if you look at look at the Arizona Senate race, as a short best example of this, Mark Kelly just was out there talking about, hey, man, I'm a guy. I care what people as an astronaut. You know, I'm worried about your concerns. I'm worried about inflation. You know, I, I'm worried about the border, but I also think we should be compassionate, right? We should make sure people have health care. Yeah. I mean, that was Mark Kelly, just like a dad, an astronaut talking about stuff that people care about. Then Blake Masters is like, I, you know, talking about like, the weirdest shit. Like that he's he, going to wear your skin. Like, hey, you know who had a good point? The Unabomber. <laughs> the Unabomber. It's like I was reading Curtis Yarvin's blog the other day about the de- <laughs> impact of demographic change in the country. And I, and it's just like, dude, like you're weird. Like you are weird. The stuff that you care about. And, I, you know, I went to the speeches and it was like he would attack Kelly for being an astronaut at the start of his speech. Like, we're sending you back to the moon and everybody laughing i'm like people like astronauts i think i don't know like, you should have somebody on your team that's like a gut check that's like a normal person that's not like deep in you know 4chan right and so i, I and so i think that go just circling back to when i asked those folks what they care about vaccine conspiracies anti-woke like you know whether the african-american studies department like has a queer class or not like like that's just not at the top of the list of the of the key voters <laughs> that, that you need to win a presidential yeah, race. No one brings that up right. in the open. <laughs> right. right. So that's that is a problem for them for sure. So let me just uh, ask you to to put your sort of never Trump, but pretend you're a Democrat hat on. Uh, if you were running communications and messaging for Joe Biden's nascent reelection campaign, and you didn't yet know who you were facing in the general Trump, DeSantis, someone else. What would you tell him to do and say over the next year to just get himself prepared and, and ready to uh, to uh, take on the Republicans? I mean, kind of what I just said. But um, look, I think that Joe Biden needs to occupy 
the space of we are trying to actually address your concerns and these people are weird as fuck. I mean, Joe Biden's not going to say that himself, <laughs> right? But I mean, that was basically Mark Kelly's campaign yeah. against Masters, right? I mean, it wasn't, he didn't say weird as fuck, uh, you know, but yeah. his, his surrogates would. And and like the ads made Blake seem as weird as he is, right? It was easy. But Ron DeSantis is weird. I and mean, Trump, we already know, right? But like Ron DeSantis is, is, is a weird guy. I mean, like he got married at Disney World and, you know, the boots. <laughs> and like the nasally voice and the thing. And he just, he's, nobody's like, man, I want to hang out with Ron DeSantis, right? And so obviously the, there's some yeah. extreme policy side of things, but I, I just think that there is a, a, the Republicans have failed. I think that they were maybe on a concerningly right track of, of saying, we want to just carve off some more of the working class even voters of color if maybe we can even just carve out 10 percent more eight percent like you don't, we don't need to get a majority of the black voter hispanic vote but we're just going to focus on we're going to say the democrat the democrats are weird you know we're not going to get in these like they're they care about all this culture stuff we care about you you know we wanted to you know keep things open during covid right like like there, there was a more of an economic based kind of there's a little bit of a culture element to it but not getting into all the all the very online stuff that may, might have worked, might not have worked. I don't know, but I, I thought that that it was it was a concerning possibility. They haven't done that, and and in across the country, in every place, with the exception of like the handful of normal Republicans like Brian Kemp, they haven't focused on you know actually dealing with people's whatever their real concerns are right now, be it inflation or something else. And I just think that Joe Biden can go out there and say, I worked bipartisan. We tried to deal with inflation. We tried to bring jobs back here. We're doing manufacturing. Like we're on the right track. Things are getting better. They're obsessing over whatever gas stoves or whatever their newest thing is. The the, the M and M's having high heels and like trying to create that sort of dichotomy is is where is where they should be. I think that the the weird point is very important and underappreciated because you're right. We we talk about it extreme. on the Democratic side in terms of extremism, right? And I think that obviously works with Democratic voters and people who lean Democratic. And I think that there's a lot of truth to it, that they, they, yeah. they've embraced ex- very extreme policies <laughs> yeah. and they're extreme candidates, right? But when you think about... Um, you know, Fetterman versus Oz, right? Yeah. What was the what was the biggest hit against Oz? That he's just fucking he's weird, weird. The crudite. Right? Doug Mastriano, extreme, right? Like likes to cosplay as a Confederate soldier. <laughs> That's very extreme. And also it's weird. Also weird. <laughs> yes. It's also weird. <laughs> right? Like like Blake Masters, yeah. very weird. Yeah. Right. Very weird. Yes. And I think that sometimes we underappreciate how powerful that is because most most voters are just people who like show up on election day and pick between two people that they haven't really heard that much about. And if they think that one person sounds kind of normal and kind of down to earth and, and is talking about shit that they care about, they'll vote for that person, especially if the other person sounds like a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, yeah. obviously you can't make your whole campaign around that, um, but I, no. I, that would be that would be my North Star. I think for starting, yeah. and but the, and that also includes, which is much more in the Biden wheelhouse than the weird side. The the focusing on oh, we're doing stuff for you. I think that it shows actually how how powerful the weird part is that the Democrats did well in the midterms, really mostly based on the weird. I don't think that the Democrats did a particularly great job of talking of like the positive story to tell of the Biden administration. Part of that was because it was hard because the economy was really shaky there. But if the economy keeps getting better, in particular. I, that's a powerful two-pronged message. We're 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 on the yes. right track. They're weird as fuck. Last question I have to ask as a fellow Twitter addict: How are you handling the Elon era? Are you less addicted? Happy? Sad? Are you over there on post with the other uh, resistance libs? What's going on? I'm never leaving. 
I'll be the la- me and Elon will be the last ones. You can take Twitter out of my cold dead hands. I'm addicted to it. Uh, my screen time report is disturbing. Um, I don't like Elon. I, I think all of his decisions are making Twitter worse. And yet, I, I need I need the constant feed of information. I need my I have my little nuggets list. You know, I've mm. got my I've got my drag race list, all of my interests. You know, I've, I won't list all of my interests, but you know, I've got my LSU list, I've got my politics lists. Yeah, I found it in the Elon era easier to use with by using the lists. That's that's actually helped it a little bit because yeah. I do think that the overall experience has been degraded, not just by Elon. That was at the beginning because yeah. he's making himself the main character every day, but now it's just like. It feels like people, the party's emptying out a little bit, but I, I am like you as I need the rush of information more than anything. I don't need to tweet a lot. I need to get in Twitter fights. I'm like sort of over all that. But the, uh, but the rush of information, I still find myself. I still find I've, myself. And there isn't a good, fight. and the post, uh, the, there isn't a good substitute. So I've, I've, done, I've, I've, I've maybe tacked down my Twitter usage 10% since Elon has come in and up to try to some, do some other things. I'm, I'm more of a Reddit man now. And I do find sometimes you get interesting little information on Reddit you don't see on Twitter because it's like the people over there are different. Um, so yeah. I have started that, but uh, but no, I'm 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 going down with the ship, and um, and I have I have like tw- oh. I have Twitter wrist and Twitter thumb, which is why you shouldn't have me on this podcast. I do like, too. Like, I, I'm gonna be a I, literally my thumb is clicking right now. <laughs> I'm gonna be like a 60 year old man. I'm, I'm right there be- on the I'm right there on the deck of the Titanic with you, yeah. Tim. It's gonna be, be so <laughs> embarrassing when I'm like in the senior citizens' home and I can't lift a fork and someone has to feed me and they're like, why? What is your and I was like thumb. Twitter thumb. I can't, like, my thumb is broken. My, the ligaments. Well, let's start. There was this thing called Twitter yeah. about 30, 40 years <laughs> yeah, ago. Right. Tim Muller, thanks for joining Offline. This was fun. Thanks, Fabs. We'll see you later. Offline is a Crooked Media production. It's written and hosted by me, John Favreau. It's produced by Austin Fisher. Emma Illick Frank is our associate producer. Andrew Chadwick is our sound editor. Kyle Seglin, Charlotte Landis, and Vasilis Fotopoulos sound engineered the show. Jordan Katz and Kenny Siegel take care of our music. Thanks to Michael Martinez, Ari Schwartz, Amelia Montooth, and Sandy Gerard for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Narmel Konian, who film and share our episodes as videos every week. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.